What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the spring premiere of In Focus. My name is Grayson Singleton. Thank you so much for listening or watching on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're finding this show. Coming up, coming up today on our first episode of the new year, Chad Henney is trending on Twitter, the Jets screw up again, and what on earth is going on in Houston? That and more upcoming, but first, let's catch up with what happened last week in the first installment of our segment, What the Heck Happened Last Week? And we start with the NBA, and James Harden has finally successfully gotten himself out of Houston. Now, we'll talk more about how James Harden handled this situation a little bit later, or in a second, but he is now a Brooklyn Net, and in his first two games, the Nets haven't missed a beat. They've defeated the Orlando Magic handily and then edged the Milwaukee Bucks on MLK Day by two. Harden has averaged 33 points, 9 rebounds, and 11 assists, while Kevin Durant, in his 11th game back from an Achilles tear, is still averaging 36 in those two games. The interesting question for the Nets comes is, what happens when you bring Kyrie Irving back to the equation? Because as good as an, of a basketball player as Kyrie Irving is, Irving has had deleterious effects on every team he's been on ever since LeBron James left Cleveland. So does Kyrie Irving be, get under control because now he's playing alongside two other alpha males who are incredibly more mature than him or does Kyrie Irving bring down yet another team this time in Brooklyn because here's the thing the Brooklyn Nets are a very good basketball team with or without Kyrie Irving even Stephen A said this Stephen A Smith on ESPN said that he picks the Brooklyn Nets to make the NBA finals with or without Kyrie Irving the second part of that sentiment I agree with Without Kyrie Irving and on a team led by Kevin Durant and James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets will represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. When you add that third piece and a piece that has been as cancerous as Kyrie Irving, now the onus goes to Steve Nash to see can he rein in this third superstar. If he can, Brooklyn's going to the Finals. If, if he can't, Brooklyn could be looking at an early or a conference round exit of the NBA playoffs. All right, to the NFL we go, where championship weekend has been set. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Lamar Jackson-led Baltimore Ravens 17-3 in what was probably the most boring game of the week. Honestly, honestly, I wouldn't have even watched the game had Oklahoma State had a basketball game, but Bellum got canceled. So we were forced to watch the monstrosity that was two missed kicks by the NFL's best kicker and both quarterbacks looking very subpar to be nice. As a matter of fact, Lamar Jackson actually outplayed Josh Allen throughout that entire game until he threw the interception that basically sealed it. So Buffalo's moving on, and their opponent will be the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Cleveland Browns. Yes, Cleveland was playing in the middle of January for the first time since the 90s, also the first time in my lifetime. But that's not the main story. The main story is Patrick Mahomes exited the game early with a concussion. Enter backup quarterback Chad Henney, who, who sealed the game in the in his half quarter of relief of Patrick Mahomes. But now, Chad Henney is trending on Twitter as the hashtag #HennyThingIsPossible was one of the most talked about tweets on Sunday night and going into Monday. Yes, Chad Henney, who has not played meaningful football in a whole decade, yes, since 2010 when he was a member of the Miami Dolphins who had a chance to make the playoffs but didn't, is now trending on Twitter. Quite frankly, me and everybody else watching that game forgot Chad Henney even was in the NFL. But here he is. He sealed the game for Kansas City and now might possibly be leading them into Arrowhead against the Buffalo Bills for a chance to send Kansas City to its second consecutive Super Bowl. 
the Chiefs are also the first AFC team to host three consecutive AFC championship games. Only That has only been done in the NFL one other time. The Eagles did it in the early 2000s. You want to know who the Eagles coach was? Yes, you've got it right. That was Kansas City Chiefs' current coach, Andy Reid. On the NFC side, Tom Brady defeated Drew Brees in the battle of the two oldest quarterbacks in the NFL. As a matter of fact, it was the oldest quarterback matchup in, in, in championship game history, as both quarterbacks are over 40 years old. It might have been Drew Brees' last game, but it probably wasn't, and this probably won't be the last season for Tom Brady, who is looking as good as he ever did, and will now lead them into, a, into Lambeau Field in a matchup against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who defeated the Los Angeles Rams on Saturday afternoon. The interesting thing about this game is how will the Buccaneers as a team play in the blizzard that will be the Green Bay, Wisconsin, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski already have this experience in their years playing in Foxborough, Massachusetts as members of the New England Patriots. However, most of the players on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have spent most of, if not all, their career playing in Tampa, Florida. Two very different climates from what they will be playing playing in come Sunday afternoon. And and lastly, before we get to our main story, hiring season. As most, most coaching hiring vacancies have been filled, the Jets and the Rams, uh, Jets and Chargers rather, stick out to me. The Jets hired former San Francisco 49ers defensive end Robert Sala, while the Los Angeles Chargers hired former Los Angeles Rams defensive end Brandon Staley. Both of these guys are great coaches, but I absolutely hate both of these hires. These are terrible. First of all, love Robert Sala. Great, great guy and should be an NFL coach this season. However, I don't like him with the Jets, and here's why. The Jets' defense not necessarily is their problem. What their problem is, is that they have been the lowest scoring team and one of the worst offenses for the better part of the last four seasons. As a matter of fact, we're trying to figure out, is Sam Darnold the guy? And if you're trying to figure out if your offense is is the problem and if your quarterback is your franchise quarterback, the most important position on a football team, you're going to need an offensive head coach unless you want a mediocre offense and your team to be carried by the defense, something that doesn't really work anymore. The last time, and really one of the few isolated times that has worked in the last five years, was last season's San Francisco 49ers, yes, coordinated by Robert Sala, whose, whose defense led the 49ers to the Super Bowl, who, and they eventually lost to the Chiefs. Now, this Jets team is nowhere near as talented on either side of the ball as the San Francisco 49ers team, so Robert Sala now pretty much has a bare cupboard and a team that doesn't know its quarterback or, quite frankly, its identity in general. And I don't think he's the right guy for that. On that same note, the same can apply to the Chargers, who have hired Brandon Staley. Now, even though I like Brandon Staley, his resume is nowhere close to Sala's. Staley has only spent one year as a major coordinator. He was a defensive coordinator for Sean McVay with the Rams this season. And, and while his defense was ranked number one, I would like to have seen more years for Staley. And more, more years for Staley. And, and while I think he might do a good job in, in, with the Chargers, because the Chargers' defense is loaded with veterans, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, Chris Harris, Casey Hayward, just to name a few, the Chargers also have a quarterback going into his sophomore season, and I would have liked to see again an offensive coach there to groom him 
Because in this day and age, defense no longer wins championships. It's can you put up the most points, which technically has how it's always been. But sports is played differently these days. So who would I have rather had for these jobs? Well, for the Jets, I think Arthur Smith, who was eventually hired by the Atlanta Falcons, would have been a better hire here. As for the Chargers, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy would have been ideal. Why Bieniemy didn't get more consideration, I have no idea, and I'm actually perplexed to this day by it. But that, but that being said, are we used to the Jets making bad hires in any facet? I mean, it's the Jets. They've been terrible ever since they let go of Rex Ryan. But anyway, that's all for what the heck happened last week. Let's move on to our main story. Houston, Texas. It's the state it's the Texas it's the state of Texas largest hub for the coronavirus and home to the cheating Astros. But it, other also on the sports world, you have the Texans and you have the Rockets. Two very different situations with two disgruntled stars. Let me explain here. I mentioned James Harden earlier. James Harden forced himself out of Houston basically with by a slew of antics, not really immature antics that we saw from Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, or anything like that. But he made known that he wanted out of Houston. He got his trade to Brooklyn, and he's now playing alongside former teammate in Oklahoma City, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. To the NFL, Deshaun Watson now is disgruntled and wants to be traded. These two situations are very different. But what's but what's the common theme here is you have a disgruntled superstar that is seemingly mad at management. Why was James Harden mad? I'm not entirely sure exactly. He didn't really make that known to us, and it wasn't very obvious. James Harden's teammate, Russell Westbrook, was traded to the Washington Wizards before the season started. Could that be what he was mad at? I'm not sure. Was it because the team let go of general manager Daryl Morey? Possibly. Possibly. But because the Rockets have gotten so close so many times and have never come out of the Western Conference, it might have been time to move on from both Daryl Morey and head coach Mike D'Antoni, who now James Harden is now reunited with in Brooklyn, as D'Antoni is Steve Nash's lead assistant there. So what does James Harden do? He's disgruntled for no reason, or no apparent reason, let me amend that statement. So what does he do? First of all, he doesn't show up at training camp, which puts new head coach Steven Silas, somebody I'm very familiar with because Dallas is my hometown, and Steven Silas was Rick Carlisle's lead assistant for the Dallas Mavericks. So he doesn't show up to training camp. Then when he does show up right before the season starts, It's a disaster. He looks like a disaster. He's completely out of shape. He's noticeably fat. He doesn't even look like a basketball player. Then he misses time because he breaks COVID rules and COVID restrictions by going to a strip club and then having to quarantine, which knocks him out of commission for the better part of a week. Then he gets to Brooklyn. Now, he did play games with the Houston Rockets and was pretty decent with them even though the Rockets as a team didn't have many results. As a matter of fact, I believe they were under 500 when James Harden was traded. Then he gets to Brooklyn. Conversely, 
Houston Texans quarterback, excuse me, Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson was disgruntled this entire season. He really was. Not least of which of reasons the Texans stunk. Like, they were terrible. Before this season, Deshaun Watson's main target, DeAndre Hopkins, who has been a Texan for, I want to say, five years, four or five years, was mysteriously traded by then-head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien to the Arizona Cardinals. An all-pro wide receiver with the best hands, one of the best set of hands we have ever seen in the NFL, was traded for running back David Johnson, an off-injured running back with a horrible contract, and a third-round pick. Yes, for an all-pro wide receiver, they did not get back a halfway decent player. Well, James, well, D- uh, David Johnson, excuse me, actually proved us that he could still play. But what seemed to be a washed player and not even a first-round pick. Yeah. So he's mad at that. So they fire O'Brien midway through the season, which means they're now without a GM. And now without a head coach. Deshaun Watson goes to Cal McNair, the owner, and son of founder Bob McNair, and asks to be a part of the GM hiring process. Which, if you're not familiar with sports, this is actually a very common thing for a superstar to ask to be involved in hiring processes. This, ha- this happens all the time. It happens in, in the NBA and in the NFL, particularly as it pertains to a quarterback. Because a quarterback kind of needs to know what's going to be around him. So Houston hires an independent firm to tell them who the best candidates were. And at the 11th hour, the proverbial 11th hour, McNair circumvents everything that firm and Deshaun Watson recommended and hires former New England Patriots personnel director Nick Casario to be their general manager. He went behind everybody's back including Deshaun Watson. And now, and that seemingly did it for Watson. Because first of all, Deshaun Watson has never had a great relationship with the Houston Texans' upper management, which that goes back to founder Bob McNair, who founded the team in 2002, who has never had a good working relationship with the Houston Texans' players. Case in point, the comments he made that provoked wide receiver Deshaun Watson I don't have time to get into what those comments were or the severity of them. Google them if you want to, and then you will be perturbed at what you find. But Deshaun Watson, for the list of viable grievances that he had, still showed up to work and played. Deshaun Watson was the leading passer this season. I bet you didn't know that which I didn't either until I looked, because the Texans were 4-12. and 12. Now, the Texans, you would think, okay, cool, 4-12. and 12, that They have the third pick in the draft. Wait, no, they don't, because former GM Bill O'Brien screwed that up as well. And what I always tell people is Bill O'Brien, who's now the offensive coordinator at Alabama, replacing Steve Sarkeesian, who left to be the head coach at Texas. Bill O'Brien is a pretty good coach. That's not what did him in at with the Texans. Bill O'Brien is a terrible GM, and terrible is a right way to put, is a nice way of putting it. He's horrendous. 
Why do they not have that first-round pick? Because they traded it to the Miami Dolphins two years ago for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills is a very good number two receiver when he's healthy, which he never is. By the way, Kenny Stills was also released before the end of this season. Laramie Tunsil was supposed to be one of the better offensive tackles of this generation. He is nowhere near that. His, his addition did not solve anything, did not solve any of the problems that the Houston Texans had in terms of keeping Deshaun Watson upright. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now you have a situation where the Texans are now seeing the consequences of having an inept GM, and now the front office, starting with the owner, is inept as well. But Hassan Watson still comes out and balls. He was one of the best quarterbacks this season. Didn't turn the ball over much. This offense still put up points. They had a horrendous defense, that, which is why they lost all these games. James Harden, on the other hand, whose beef or grievance with the Houston Rockets was not nearly this extensive. Because we don't know what exactly that grievance was, it opens the door to asking the question, is James Harden just mad because he didn't get what he wanted? Because if you remember, why was why Mike D'Antoni and James Harden's relationship worked so well is that this is based on other players too. There was no accountability for James Harden. There was none. Mike D'Antoni's whole philosophy is shoot threes and score as many points as possible. Notice I did not mention the other side of the ball, which is defense. Which, going back to when Mike D'Antoni made his bones as the coach of the Phoenix Suns, they didn't play defense either. No Mike D'Antoni team has ever been good at defense, and a lot of them haven't even been good at shooting three-pointers. So now you enter Steven Silas, who just came from a team, the Dallas Mavericks last season, who also weren't very good defensively, whose goal was to make the Rockets better defensively, and you get a situation where uh, th this, this ain't working for James Harden. Plus, you trade away Russell Westbrook. Combine that with the team getting so close, either to the second round or the conference finals in each of the last four seasons, and James Harden seems to just not be getting what he wants. And it's okay that you don't want to be on your team anymore, but for goodness sake, show up to work. And it's not just me that thinks Deshaun Watson handled this situation better. Ask, ask one of James Harden's former teammates, DeMarcus Cousins. In an interview after a, a game following the trade, Cousins says the Rockets felt disrespected. Quote, the disrespected started way before any interview. Just the approach to training camp, showing up the way he did, the antics off the court, the disrespect started way before, close quote. And that basically just encapsulates what I just took the last five minutes to say. His teammates felt let down. You think Deshaun Watson handled this better? Ask J.J. Watt. After their final game, which sealed this Texans 4-12 dismal season, that now will not even see a first-round pick, as the Miami Dolphins have that third pick. J.J. Watt is mic'd up running to Deshaun Watson, 
and saying, I'm sorry, man, we wasted one of your years. Nobody's saying that about James Harden. Deshaun Watson is one of the more respected players on that Houston Texans team. And not just on the Houston Texans, but in the NFL. He's one of the genuinely good people in the NFL. Case in point, fans are noticing how Deshaun Watson has been mistreated by this organization. They even started a march in the honor of Deshaun Watson. And what did Deshaun Watson do when he heard this This is happening? He goes out. He goes on Twitter and says, I appreciate it, but COVID numbers are spiking in the area, so let's not do this. That is, the mo- that is one of the more selfless things I have ever heard an athlete say. One of the more selfless. He's, he's in tune with what's going on in the world while still being in tune on what's going on in his career. And something that was done was to be done in his honor, he said, no, let's pump the brakes on this and let's think clearly. And I love this. I absolutely love this. This is fantastic. Because who, whichever team the Texans trade him to is getting somebody with a sound mind, an incredible person, and one of the three best quarterbacks in the AFC, I believe, along with Patrick Mahomes and now Josh Allen. So kudos to, jo- to Josh Allen, oh my goodness, to Deshaun Watson for how he handled this. And look, I'm not saying James Harden is a bad person because I have no viable reason to say that. I have no reason to say that. James Harden is, by all accounts, a pretty good dude. These two situations were handled totally different, and I think one sets a better example for how to go about standing up for yourself. So hats off to to Deshaun Watson, and hopefully he gets on a team that he can have a chance to go back to the postseason. Because remember, it wasn't that long ago that the Houston Texans were challenging for a Super Bowl. They were in the Super Bowl last season. I mean, in the Super Bowl. They were in the divisional round last season and blew a 24-point lead to the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, man. (laughs) That was quite a year. Quite a game. They They blew that lead in half a quarter, by the way. Yeah. No wonder nobody from that season is still left. All right, I want to switch gears to this. Championship weekend. It's set. The Chiefs are going to take on the Buffalo Bills. The Bills haven't been this far since 1995. As a matter of fact, that was the last time they won a playoff game. Now, they were in the playoffs a couple years ago. That was the first time I had ever seen them in the playoffs. But they lost, I believe it was to the Chargers in that game. Don't quote me on that because I don't remember exactly. But since... The end of that run where they represented the AFC in the Super Bowl for four straight years, losing all four Super Bowls, they have not won a playoff game. Now they're in the AFC Championship game under Josh Allen. And the Bills probably have the best chance in the AFC of knocking off Kansas City. Number one, weather won't be a factor for for the Bills. Even though this game is going to be in Kansas City, well, the Bills are from Buffalo, New York the weather can get frigid and ugly and miserable very, very fast. So that won't be a problem. Second, they may not be going against Patrick Mahomes. Because if you watch the game 
between Kansas City and the Cleveland Browns, when you saw how Patrick Mahomes got up after that hit in which he was concussed, that doesn't look like a dude that's going to be ready to play football by Sunday. It really doesn't. Patrick Mahomes, he looked like he was about to fall straight down as soon as he stood up. Like, he had, he had no bearings. Like, you could see that hit, look at how he got up, and you're like, he's done for the game. And then you, you immediately wonder, well, is Cleveland going to take advantage of this? They did not. I add, thankfully, even though I'm a Broncos fan and obviously success for the Kansas City Chiefs doesn't ins- excite me. However, I did not want to see the Browns in the AFC Championship, not this season. So you're looking at a situation where you might have Josh Allen versus Chad Henney in the AFC Championship game. And as I mentioned and as I mentioned at the top of the show, Chad Henney has not played meaningful football or started a meaningful game since 2010 when he was a member of the Miami Dolphins. Now, can Chad Henney perform well enough under somebody like Andy Reid with the kind of weapons that the Chiefs have? Tyreek Hill, Hardman, Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the NFL, I believe. And then with three running backs who are capable with Daryl Williams, Le'Veon Bell, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie who is expected to be back after missing the divisional round with a knee injury. I think Chad Henney can succeed. And I think the Chiefs probably will win this game with or without Patrick Mahomes. Now, will they win the Super Bowl without Patrick Mahomes? The answer is no. Because I don't think they'll be able to keep up with either the Buccaneers or the Packers. We'll get into that matchup in just a second. Buffalo is interesting. Because Buffalo has to throw the ball to beat you, unlike the Ravens. Because Buffalo doesn't run the ball very well, which is the weakness in the Chiefs' defense. The Chiefs aren't very good at stopping the run. They are very good, not very good, but they are decent at stopping the pass. And that's what most Steve Spagnuolo-led defenses have been, whether it was with the Rams, the Chargers, or now with Kansas City, is that their secondary plays its very best at this time of the year. So the Chiefs, so the Bills have to throw the football a lot. Now this can work one of two ways for Kansas City. A, this means that their secondary rises to the challenge and shuts down, you know, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, and all the weapons that Josh Allen has to work with. Or the Bills go up and down the field scoring either touchdowns or field goals or even going three and out, and you have more possessions in which Chad Henney is on the field, or a better way of putting it, for the sake of my argument, more opportunities for Chad Henney to mess it up. Because remember, we forgot Chad Henney was even in the NFL. So... What happened? I want to know what the plan is. What is the plan for Andy Reid concerning this game? Do you run the ball more? Because that would seem like the better option. Because as good as the weapons in Kansas City are, that secondary for Buffalo is something to be amazed at. That is a very good secondary. Remember, the play of the game against Baltimore was not made by their star corners, Tredavious White and Levi Wallace. It was made by their nickel corner, Taron Johnson, on that 101-yard interception return for a touchdown that put the game away. 
So do you want Chad Henney trying to throw it to those guys, not to mention those two safeties back there, Poyer and Micah Hyde, who are both elite? Do you want him dropping back with that Buffalo pass rush? While I do think the Chiefs can win this game without Patrick Mahomes, there is every single possible reason to believe that the Chiefs will lose it if Patrick Mahomes is not ready to go. And that brings us to the other side of the conversation is, will Patrick Mahomes be ready to go? And I've already said that if you watch that game, he didn't look like somebody who would be ready to play football again in seven days. I still don't think he will be 100% recovered from that concussion. And the trickiness comes into this, and radio hosts in Dallas were talking about this earlier today, is to what lengths will the Chiefs go to get Patrick Mahomes out there? And this will be the ultimate test for the NFL's concussion protocols, is what do you do when the face of the league is now forced to subjugate himself to those protocols? And they're very stingy. Because some players have spent weeks, if not a full month, in that protocol as a result of hits that looked far less worse than what happened to Mahomes on Sunday. So, and I don't have the and I don't have those protocols in front of me right now, so forgive me for that. But does Patrick Mahomes lie to doctors and say his head is all clear just so we can get out there and play? Do the doctors look him straight in the eye and fake as if they believe him and then report him to Kansas City and to the NFL as ready to go? And I don't believe these are bad people, and I don't think if they do it, they would be bad people. I don't think this sullies them as people at all. But as an athlete, you want to get out there and play as much as possible. And I think athletes and me you, and, and me being one up until the time I graduated high school, I know for a fact that they do as much as possible to get onto the field, no matter the injury. Case in point, my sophomore year of high school, I played an entire tournament on a busted hand. Yeah, that's kind of hard to do playing basketball. And now Patrick Mahomes wants to go out here with a concussion playing football. That'll be very interesting to see. And I wonder what Andy Reid and offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who I think it would be an absolute tragedy if he doesn't get a head coaching job this season. Now, do I want him to take the Houston Texans job? No. I would advise him to stay away from that job as much as possible because as has been, been reported by Adam Schefter and Field Yates of ESPN, that is the least desirable job and the most undesirable job in the NFL. So I would, I would want him to stay away from that, but I, I digress. What do he and Andy Reid do this, this week in, in terms of preparation? Because Buffalo is going to be their toughest game yet. Now, remember, they did play Buffalo earlier in the season and completely mollywopped them. But this is a different Buffalo Bills team. This is a different Josh Allen. And this is a different Buffalo defense that, like Kansas City's, was mediocre for most of the season. And in Buffalo's case highly underwhelming just given the stars that they have on that team but they have peaked they have they're peaking right now they just shut down a very very good offense in Baltimore that's that's that is a one of the hardest offenses to stop 
for the complete opposite reasons that Kansas City's is one of the hardest to stop. Because you can't stop Baltimore running the ball. They have very good running backs, a very good offensive line, and a quarterback who also doubles as the second fastest guy in the NFL. And Buffalo shut them down. So there is every reason to believe that Buffalo could walk out of here with its fifth Super Bowl appearance. Who they'll be taking on, assuming they win, will be determined in Lambeau Field when Tom Brady and the Patriots, Tom Brady and the Patriots, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And I think the Packers are going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it win it handily. Here's why. Green Bay just dropped 32 on the league's best defense. The Rams have the best interior offensive defensive lineman in this generation, possibly the best interior, defense, interior defensive lineman we've ever seen in Aaron Donald. They have the best corner in the league right now in Jalen Ramsey. And Aaron Rodgers was surgical on Saturday afternoon. Absolutely phenomenal. And the matchup between Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey was as one-sided as it could have gotten. Devontae Adams won that matchup. Hands down. No argument. So, what do they do against a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team who, remember... Had the, had the better of them, and I believe it was week four, week five. The Buccaneers completely took apart the Green Bay Packers at a time when we thought the Packers might be the undisputed best team in the NFL. Obviously, we had them with Kansas City, and then we also had them with the then-undefeated Steelers, who don't get me started with them because that was one of the most epic collapses I have ever seen a team go on. Green Bay's offense and Tampa's defense have peaked and are, or are peaking. They're fantastic. Aaron Rodgers' connection with his top receiver, Devontae Adams, is at an all-time high. I've hardly ever seen a connection between a quarterback and a receiver be any better. And it's phenomenal to watch. They have three capable running backs. They have an offensive line that, although it lost its left tackle, David Bakhtiari, to a season-ending ACL tear, has still been very, very good. And the subsequent weapons this um, have not been very bad. Lazard, when he holds onto the ball, which is most times, has been very, very good. Robert Tunyon, the tight end, has made a name for himself this season has been very, very good. And then you have Valdez, Scantling, and St. Brown, and others who will come out to catch passes, but it's mainly Rodgers to Devontae Adams, and good luck stopping that. Since they played the Packers, the Buccaneers' secondary has been a little bit of a concern in terms of stopping number one receivers. And the best example I can give you is when Tampa faced the Kansas City Chiefs back in the regular season, and... Carlton Davis, their corner, was just torched by Tyreek Hill. Now, why Carlton Davis was one-on-one with Tyreek Hill, I will never know, and that's something Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, will have to answer for for quite a long time. Hopefully he doesn't make that same mistake again 
against Devontae Adams. But if he does, then we've got a problem. But that pass rush in that front seven is something for Tampa Bay. Anchored by this, this fabulous defensive linebacker, Devin, Devin White. He's fantastic. Hands down. One of the best linebackers in the NFL. In his second year, he's 22 years old. He's going to be one of the better middle linebackers we have ever seen. Given he stays healthy and has a lengthy career. And him alongside Levante David is one of the best linebacker duos, if not the best linebacker duo in the NFL. So Aaron Rodgers is going to have his work cut out for him. And I think now that that offense and that offensive line has completely come together, Aaron Rodgers is on the same page with head coach and offensive play caller Matt LaFleur. I don't know how you stop this offense. Because remember back when they played in September or or early October, Tampa got immense pressure on Aaron Rodgers with only four. I don't see that happening. And yes, I know Ndamukong Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett have, have been very, very good this season. They've been exquisite. Especially those two outside rushers, Pierre-Paul and Barrett. But offensive lines do take a minute to come together. And boys, this offensive line come together, case in point, because the Rams didn't sack Aaron Rodgers once. The Rams, who are one of the better teams at getting to the quarterback, they have the best defensive lineman in the NFL, didn't hardly touched Aaron Rodgers. Tampa could T- Tampa has the players to do that, but Green Bay has the players to make sure that doesn't happen. Now, on the flip side, you have Tampa's offense against Green Bay's defense. And this is the question mark for the game because if you remember back in October or September when they when they played Tom Brady didn't have to do but so much because his defense performed extremely well. Now, yes, the offense was good as they put up as the team scored 38 unanswered points after going down 10-0, similar to what happened in the New Orleans Saints game where the defense just turned turned over and turned over and turned over the New Orleans Saints. But now if Aaron Rodgers, as I'm predicting, puts up points on that Tampa defense, unlike what he did back in the regular season, now you have a Buccaneers team that will have to go the full length of the field to score touchdowns. So that'll be interesting to see. And we didn't really see it much against the Saints because, again, the defense came to play and the offense's numbers were relatively pedestrian. I mean, Tom Brady was good in that he didn't turn the ball over, but he only had 199 yards, which which is fine for how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers want to play. They want to give their offense short fields so they don't have to go down the field over and over and over again with a 43-year-old quarterback. This time around, Antonio Brown is playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this should be a lot of fun. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown against a secondary that includes Jair Alexander, one of the better corners, one of the better young corners in the NFL, better corners overall. And Green Bay's defense, as bad as it was at the beginning of the year, has also improved. I think I still think people overrate the defense. But when they come to play, when those guys like Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith are getting pressure on the quarterback, 
that's a defense to be reckoned with. And as great as Tom Brady is, the times where we have seen Tom Brady come up small in the postseason is when people get pressure on him. It's not a fun sight. The Saints won those first two meetings with with Tampa in the regular season because they were all over Tom Brady. This This time around last Sunday, that didn't happen. So Green Bay really needs to dig deep into their pass rush and try to get pressure on Tom Brady without blitzing because Tom Brady, like most great quarterbacks these days, is very, very lethal against the blitz. And if you keep blitzing him, he's just going to keep picking you apart because he has players on the outside, Evans, Godwin, Brown, who can win one-on-one matchups. And remember, I keep saying Brown as the third receiver, but two years ago, the last time when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver in the NFL. He's 31 years old only. So he still has good football to play. And I believe Antonio Brown should get a another one- to two-year contract next season. Whether it's with the Buccaneers, I don't know. But he should get a contract because Antonio Brown has played very good football since he served his suspension and joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this is going to be a big challenge for Green Bay's defense. So the question now becomes, does Tom Brady go up and down the field with Aaron Rodgers? And I think the answer to that is no. Partly because I don't trust Tampa's offensive line. They came up big last week, but in the wild card round, they weren't very good against the Washington football team. Chase Young and Allen and Kerrigan and Sweat and those guys were getting at Tom Brady, hence the reason why Tampa Bay didn't really score much for the first three and a half quarters. Now, Green Bay's front is nowhere near as talented as that Washington front, but it is still one that's not to be sneezed at. So, the main reason I'm not going to pick Tampa is because I don't like that matchup of a rookie left tackle going against Preston Smith. And a banged-up right side of that offensive line going up against the likes of Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith. And when they get pressure, they're, the Packers are very good and very optimistic when it comes to takeaways. Again, they have they have they don't have corners that just can cover. They have corners that are very adept at taking away the ball. Alexander for one. So so it'll be an interesting matchup. Interesting matchups on both sides of the slate when it comes to the NFL. AFC Championship game, Buffalo and Kansas City. Can Mahomes take down can Josh Allen take down Mahomes? Will Mahomes be available? On the flip side, two of the oldest quarterbacks in the NFL who are both still playing very good football, Breeze, I mean Brady and Rodgers. Are those guys going to put on a show? And we'll see as we will as by the next time I record the show, we will know the matchup for Super Bowl 55 that will be held in Tampa Bay. And and what a, what a, an accomplishment for the NFL that during this coronavirus season that they've gotten this far seemingly without a hitch without an unpredicted hitch. 
They've had some games that have had to be moved around. The schedule had to be adjusted. But no games were postponed, or no games were canceled, rather. And we're here. We're here deep into January and going into February with a pandemic in the country that's worsening, but we're still able to pull off sports. And now, in some parts of the country, we're doing it with fans and live attendance. This is amazing. This is fantastic. Um, so, hats off to the NFL for doing this. Hats off to the players for their sacrifices. And now it's time for them to put on a show. And the three biggest games, the two championship games this week and the Super Bowl in two weeks, and the three biggest games that we can't wait to see. So, so this will be cool. All right, thank you so much for tuning in on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are finding our show. Until next week, God bless, keep cool, and stay safe out there, everybody.